Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, before we jump into this episode, uh, I want to give you a quick overview. This is a really important episode. Uh, it's a topic that Jen and I are deeply passionate about. It's obesity weight loss update for 2022. Um, we're going to dig into what obesity really is, um, why it's important, the impact, the significance of it. The old way, the historical way that we have been thinking about looking at treating um obesity and the new ways and an unbelievable groundbreaking new class of medication that is changing the game for many that might be right for you. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wenzel, joined as always by the lovely and talented Jen Justice. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm amazing. Good. Um, this subject is really near and dear to both of us. Um, not only is it probably the most important singular topic in a primary care world, obesity and weight-related diseases, mm -hmm. um, but it happens to be our origin story. Correct. We, we came together professionally in this topic, so we've had thousands of these conversations, and it's been really, really interesting to see how we have learned so much more. Uh, the things that used to confuse us and confound us are becoming a little more crystallized and clear. I feel like we're getting better and better mm -hmm. at um, getting to the root cause of whatever may be the weight, uh, maybe causing the weight or the obesity. Um, and I'm excited to do this update uh, to, to give people a current state of the union of how we're thinking about this. And, and full disclosure, we're biased, but we, we tend to think about this all the time and have the belief that we're uh, very um, front of the pack mm -hmm. in leading this charge mm -hmm. to treat obesity. Um, so this episode is obesity and weight loss, an update for 2022, the old way versus the new way. And we're going to start with first, Jen, defining what is BMI um, and why do we use that? How is it measured? And kind of some of the implications of, of BMI. Sure. Um, so simply put, um, body mass index or BMI, um, the, the range for when it starts when you're considered obese is greater than 30. Right. So that's the number that we use. Um, and it's really just a calculation based on your height and weight. Mm -hmm. So it's... Um, your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. That's the actual uh, formula that we Nobody use. Nobody actually calculates that. Right. There's, just <laughs> There's a BMI calculator. <laughs> that's right. But that's what it's. <laughs> I'm terrible at math, so I'm not even going to attempt that. It's not a perfect science. <clears throat> right. It's not a perfect science. Um, but it's a pretty uh, good indicator, I think, for population health mm -hmm. purposes to tell us as a whole, as a society, as a world, where are we at with how, directionally how uh -huh. big are we or how big are we not right um mm -hmm. but individually it can be tricky because 
your height doesn't change after a certain point in your life, Mm -hmm. but your weight will always go up and down or or can go up and down. And so, for example, you could have, um, I always think of uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, or Mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger back in his heyday when he was super lean and, and muscular. They were both going to trip the obesity Morbidly number obese. uh-huh but they're very lean they have a ton yeah. of muscle mass yeah um and you know c- conversely you could have um somebody that has a normal bmi but from a metabolic state they're very very unhealthy might be 30 40 percent mm-hmm. body fat mm-hmm. so it is a metric it is one that we start with mm-hmm. it's not the end-all be-all but it tells you at least on the spectrum of where you fall from your height and weight and potentially your risk for developing chronic diseases based yeah. on that. I think it's it's a useful um, because it's easy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a standardized deal. Mm-hmm. It's very useful for population health. Mm-hmm. And directionally, it can be um, correlative to health or lack of. Um, but anything more than raising the red flag to double check, um, whether it's accurate it really has limited use mm-hmm. uh, beyond the, the, the things I just mentioned. And our observation is that it becomes more and more reliable of a lack of health indicator the bigger it is. Right. So like if you had a thousand people with a BMI of 45, nobody in there is going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. So at some point, it, it's pretty clear and then directionally it can tell you if you're mapping in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But we also see on the other end of the spectrum kind of an inverse not an inverse, but a, an inconsistency where when your BMI drops below, say, 30, you're going to capture a fair number of very, very fit, especially men who are measuring as uh, overweight or even obese who are just profoundly muscular and yeah. otherwise metabolically pristine. So we tend to say as, as the BMI gets lower, it becomes more and more unreliable mm-hmm. as a singular metric. Yeah. Um, and, and again, back to your point, because of the way that it's measured, it's height over weight, uh, I'm sorry, weight over height, um, the only thing that can change in that v- equation is the numerator on the top. And mm-hmm. so if weight goes up, even if it's 10 pounds of muscle, your BMI goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I think it's important to point that out. Um, the... The other thing, back to the, the the bigger the BMI, the reason we're interested in BMIs as they go higher as a classification for the term obesity is that obesity is a real red flag for the thing that you and I talk probably the most about, which is metabolic disease and metabolic syndrome, yep. right? Remind listeners, what is metabolic disease as we define it? Well, typically they are diseases of an energy dysregulation. Mm-hmm. And we've done a whole podcast on this. Um, so I encourage the listeners to go back and listen to that. And but we'll link to some of these other episodes in our blog and our show notes. Yeah. Um, but they're referring to really an excess energy state. Mm-hmm. So we more calorie intake, more food intake, less activity Um, the quality of the food is down, so therefore you're just packing on fat onto your body. Um, But metabolic syndrome typically, I mean, it is a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. We use it as an ICD-10 code, Um, but you have to have three or more of the following, which is 
Um, and these uh, are real criteria. These by the are way. Re- real criteria. Um, a waistline of 40 inches or greater for men, mm-hmm. uh, 35 inches or greater for women, along with uh, high blood pressure, um, elevated fasting blood sugar, and dyslipidemia, which we define as a low HDL cholesterol or increased triglycerides. Right. So that's five total criteria mm-hmm. in order to have metabolic syndrome. You have to have three or more. Three or more. Mm-hmm. And what we know and is rarely talked about, and we've talked about a bunch in our content, is that the root physiology behind metabolic syndrome is insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's almost like saying diabetes is a late finding. Yeah. You You don't wake up and become diabetic. No, this is something that's been going on in most cases, 8, 10, 12, 15 years Mm -hmm. at some point. But, you know, for for, for one reason or another, it was overlooked, not looked for. Or, or um, undealt with, mm-hmm. um, but but it does have consequences. So, the significance of metabolic disease, I, I think, is really, you know, Doctor Wenzel, why does being overweight or obese matter? Mm-hmm. Here it is on a bumper sticker. It absolutely puts you at a higher risk for metabolic syndrome and other metabolic diseases, which fuel the flames of several of the top killers of human beings, mm-hmm. being diabetes, heart disease, cancer, dementia. Yep. These are absolute lighter fluid physiology changes to these incredibly significant killers of humans. So it's not just about being fat or being obese or having a BMI of whatever number, like whatever it takes to initiate the conversation to deal with the underlying risks that are being absorbed because you're carrying excess fat on on your frame, you whatever it takes to create the room for that conversation, it absolutely is the health issue of humanity mm-hmm. on the planet. No disease will outpace diabetes worldwide in the next 20 years. That's so Not scary. One. Yeah. And diabetes, the inability to regulate one's blood sugar due to being resistant to insulin is the singular gateway physiology to 70% of the top killers of humans. Mm -hmm. Like it's the thing. Mm -hmm. We could get everything else right. If we miss this, we are not going to make a significant impact in the health and well-being as a species. Mm -hmm. And there are some scary pediatric obesity, insulin resistant, pediatric diabetic cases on the horizon, especially in some of our poorer states, Mm -hmm. tend to be Southern, really some scary stuff. This is like red lights and sirens. Oh, yeah. So that's the significance of it. In this next section, we're going to slide into um, the uh, old way of looking at, thinking about, diagnosing, and treating um, weight loss, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And I think, gosh, where do I mean... (laughs) When we were preparing for this, I, I, I almost spent so much time just figuring out what I wasn't going to talk about because <laughs> there's so much to talk about. I think we've really distilled it down to three main points here. Old way, number one, is the myth that you and I built our careers around, which is all calories are created equal. Right. You want to talk a little bit about that? <clears throat> well, um, this just simply isn't true. It goes back to understanding the biochemistry, understanding 
the types and quality of food that raise your blood sugar, which raise your insulin, mm -hmm. and insulin is our fat burning or fat storing hormone. Um, you cannot tell me that eating an Oreo and eating a stock of broccoli that are the same amount of calories, they're going to have different metabolic, different hormonal responses in yes. our bodies. So that, you know, that is the basis of The fact that this what, is still a discussion yeah. blows my mind. Uh, and there are some really, really smart people out there who still are blind mm -hmm. to this, um, that you can just outrun your mouth. Yeah. And that this is just a math problem, calories in, calories mm -hmm. out, as long as I don't eat more than I'm outputting. That's one variable mm -hmm. in a very, 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 it's an oversimplification. There's some math in the equation, mm -hmm. but it's a far more biochemistry problem right. and a hormone balance problem than it is mathematics. Yes. And so um, th this is a real challenge because it leads to a one size fits all, eat less, exercise more. The universal advice for every single person on the planet is we'll stop eating so much and start exercising. Yeah. Great. Thank you. That's <laughs> really useful. Old way challenge number two is that it places the focus, and as I call it, the religion, mm -hmm. on what you should be eating. Right. And full disclosure, full transparency, you and I, in our early weight loss days, mm -hmm. we had some religion around this. We did. And, and um, I don't know that we were ever dogmatic, but we had a very clear religious bias. Mm -hmm. uh, and... What we can say unequivocally at this point is that although what you are eating is very, very important as practitioners in this space, I have no doubt that nothing is more, that anything is more important than when you eat. When, yes. This is a when we should be eating and we have all been debating and we will continue to debate what till the cows come home. It's what, 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 mm -hmm. and we're going to fist fight and it's another diet and another fad and another fizzle. And very few people are asking a higher level question, which yeah, we can talk about what to eat when it's time to eat. But a higher order question is when should we be eating? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this is, is it's the convergence of several things. I think it's the 60s and 70s bodybuilding, Venice Beach, leading into bro science, leading into mass agriculture, f selling snacks, and this idea that we need to eat every two to three hours as humans, which is completely nonsensical. Mm -hmm. Humans in the history of humanity have never eaten any more than once a day, if you're lucky, prior to 1900. Mm -hmm. Like, we just need to take a second and think about this for yeah. a second. We're not designed to live in all of this abundance, and what we're talking about is diseases of abundance. Right. Hello. Like... Once you see it, it's impossible to unsee it. Um, old way number three is that we have begun to what I call normalize disease. Mm -hmm. And this is a real challenge for me, and I don't speak about this a lot. You and I do offline, but it, it really weighs on me. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know exactly how the best way to approach this might be. And I understand the origin of this is we need to be kind kinder. Mm -hmm. We just need to be nicer to other humans. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that we are potentially in an effort to be inclusive and loving and supportive rather than telling the truth about something because that is hard. Mm -hmm. We're normalizing it. You're just big boned yeah. or like you're, you're beautiful the way you are. Mm -hmm. And this really isn't a question about beauty. It's not a question of worth or value. This is a question of 
all progress begins with telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. And we're not being truthful about people who have a disease called obesity. And so people know ob obesity was first diagnosed, I had to verify my dates here, by the National Institutes of Health in 1998 classified obesity as a disease. I do remember that, yeah. And in 2008, the Obesity Society reproclaimed it a disease. Obesity is a disease. By the time you have a BMI greater than 30, you are in a disease state. Mm -hmm. We cannot continue to pass, like, pander for the, for the sake of, like, not hurting feelings being honest. Yeah. We can do it in a kind way, and we should do it in a kind way, and we should also give resources and encouragement and, and help to people who are struggling, um, but we can't lie right. and expect progress to take place. Um, borderline. <laughs> At the sake of me ranting and completely going off rail here, can you ex refresh folks' minds about the borderline diagnosis and why that is so... Um, dangerous. Yeah. Well, I, I think it fuels a lot of what we already talked about with this kind of miscommunication of how to fix things. You know, borderline is mediocrity. It's, it's kind of deadly in its own way because it implies that there's not really a problem. We're, we haven't reached a, a point where we have to do anything yet. Oh, you're, you know, you're borderline obese, you're borderline overweight. No, like that's the time when you go on offense and you start to fix it because mm -hmm. these things are reversible. These metabolic diseases and, and things that we're talking about can be reversed or at least impacted in a positive way. So to say somebody's borderline, I think we're just kind of sweeping it under, under the carpet. Well, we're completely, yes. You know, you, you, you wake up one day and that day you uh, have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. You didn't have a heart attack that day. Right. The heart attack had been like that just didn't happen out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And if all along you were being kind of like made to feel everything is OK, status quo, that your borderline hypertension, your borderline diabetes, your borderline overweight, your borderline, borderline, borderline. I can tell you as a human, what you hear is I don't have it. Yeah. Right. It would be much more useful mm -hmm. to say you have early disease. Yeah. You have evidence of early heart disease. You have evidence of early diabetes or mild diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, be because if, if you hear that you don't have it, the human experience is to conserve energy, mm -hmm. stay alive, procreate. There's some very basic things. And if you tell me that I'm borderline, what I hear is I don't have to change anything yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's very deadly. And we see the consequences of that at scale. You know, it's interesting, as we were preparing for this, I, I was building out this basic three-part framework about the myth of calories, um, the focus and religion being on what to eat instead mm -hmm. of when to eat, and then this notion of normalizing disease being really the backbone of the old way of practicing um, obesity medicine or metabolic disease reversal. And we have kind of pride have a lot of pride in what we do and we think we're very um, front of the pack mm -hmm. forward thinkers innovators in that sense um, and and we have applied a lot of these new way that we've created tons of content around you know we focus on timing of meals first here yep. we are on offense from day one looking for metabolic disease things that could be underlying 
um, sabotaging one's effort or making the um, impossible to make any mistakes mm-hmm. uh, in treating those. Then we focus on uh, the quality of food and potentially carbohydrate restriction or potentially caloric restriction or potentially we need to optimize a fitness plan or work on sleep hygiene or alcohol. Like whatever the thing is, like we're a very, very um, handcrafted obesity weight loss strategists. Mm-hmm. But even with that, there have been some breakthroughs in the um, in this world that have kind of blown our minds, um, where we now have new tools to kind of take everything we've been doing and blow it out mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. And in the next section, we're going to talk about that. So in this third section, uh, we're going to be talking about breakthroughs and weight loss that have taken place over the last couple of years. And you and I have been um, very, we have a very similar philosophy that we don't want to be the first ones on the bus (laughs) (laughs) with every new thing, Um, but we don't want to be the last ones on the bus. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's definitely, we've hit a critical mass of data uh, results in our own practice to, to put this documented into the world to share. Um, we have a new tool in our tool belt. Um, but before we talk about that, Jen, why don't we re-familiarize the listeners to how we think about um, the three levers that mm-hmm. we have in looking at obesity or weight loss strategy. There are really only three levers that we look at, and it makes it very organized to think about. Why don't, we, why don't you break mm, us down? I love this, and I love how we explain this to our members because I think it's very contextual. I think they get it right out of the gate. But um, when we talk about these three levers of weight loss, um, all humans need to be pulling on at least one of these levers to not gain weight. And all three at the same time to lose weight, most likely. Or at Um, least two. Or at least two, right. Yeah. But I'm pretty aggressive. I say do three. (laughs) (laughs) Go all and then we can always pull back. (laughs) That's right. Um, One, as we already talked about, is calorie restriction. So Mm -hmm. the amount of food that you're eating. Just pure volume, the math. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I truly, even though it's calories in, calories out, is not the best context to really talk about weight loss. You still need to be in somewhat of a calorie deficit to induce that. So, um, you know, limiting the amount of food that you're eating and then. Yeah. And to be clear, caloric restriction, you can get there. Yeah. It's just hard. Yeah. When we talk about caloric restriction being third on our rank, that's from a context of like practical usefulness, Mm -hmm. reliability, ease of application. It's just hard. Yeah. You're hungry Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you're deprived. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that doesn't usually. And you're doing math. And you're doing math. And that's exhausting it and decision is. fatigue and all of those things. So, But yeah. caloric restriction is a viable option. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. The other thing, the second lever is um, time restriction. So mm-hmm. how often are you eating? Uh, for most of our members, we suggest delaying breakfast and just eating two meals a day it's of easy. whole food. Uh, eating to satiety. No snacking in between. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, starting your fasting window after the last thing that goes in your mouth in the evening and then just starting up about 16 hours later, if you can make it that long, 18 to 20 ideally. But a lot of people do really well with this, especially when they get started. Um, 
and then uh, the quality of the food that you you eat. So really, it's just um, as, as I just said, a sub subbing out a lot of the um, processed foods with mm-hmm. more whole foods and trying to make your diet. And as, macros. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like this is where you would consider well, I'm on a high protein right. or a low carb or yeah. keto, high mm-hmm. fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and find something that's really realistic for you. Like I know a lot of people that start keto, they do great with keto. Mm-hmm. And then once they get off keto, they can never get back on. You know, it's taking you that far. So let's kind of come up with a different strategy if that's what we need. But keto, back to why we like to start with the most powerful lever, which is the time restriction, time restricted eating. Be- if we put the religion on the time yeah. and not the, f- the diet, mm-hmm. diets come and go. Mm-hmm. And like th- what's depending on your goals, you might want to eat a different way. You may have different rules. You may have achieved a goal. You may have a, jo- a goal you're trying to achieve. But if you just live a time restricted kind of lifestyle, it takes a lot of pressure on off the what. Yeah. Um, and so we have just found that the most powerful lever, if you were to leave one hand on a lever at all times as a human, which every human needs to, or you'll be on a net positive year over year, you have to be paying attention. Like this technique doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> right. It certainly doesn't work for anybody over 35. Mm-hmm. Um, is time restricted? Window? If you can just adopt a fasting lifestyle, mm-hmm. which again, all of human history practiced intermittent fasting, I'm air quoting, prior to mass agriculture at scale in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Like even in the 1900s, before mass agriculture was everywhere, and you ate three meals a day, you woke up with the sun, you had breakfast around six, you came home, you ate supper at five, and you had 12 to 13 hours of fasting every day. Try to get a human in 2022 to not eat for 12 hours and you're going to think, <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to starve. I mean, I'm, I'm like atrophying or I can't go that long. Like when did we get that mm-hmm. soft? Yeah. No, we're, we've survived f- for thousands and thousands and thousands of years eating between long breaks of nothing. Mm-hmm. It did quite well. Yeah. Um, so we think that the most powerful lever to pull on is time restriction, if that doesn't uh, help you achieve your goal alone, then adding a second lever is going to be very critical. We find that carb restriction, so looking at the kind of macronutrient, the, the, the quality of the food is the next most powerful where, and then drilling down even further, the more weight you have to lose or the less time you want to lose it, we find that the quickest way to achieve that goal would be in carb restriction, Mm -hmm. given the relationship between carbohydrates, blood sugar variation, and insulin resistance with people, especially with metabolic disease, this is the lever to to pull on. Mm -hmm. And if you are in a low carb or a carb restricted kind of dietary thesis woven into a fasted lifestyle, for most people, that's going to get you, if you stay there long enough, you're going to reach your goal. Yeah. And then only if you have to caloric restriction. It's just so hard. Yeah. Uh, and most people don't like the feeling of starving. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't either. Um, so that's kind of contextually our thesis around diet. And I can't take credit for that. You know, w- you and I, we came across uh, one of our Dr. Heroes, Peter Atia, mm-hmm. several years ago. He, he, he did a, a little short video and I was like, oh my gosh, that's, 
I do this for a living and I've never heard anybody. It's, it's such a elegant, um, um, way to think about Mm -hmm. an otherwise wildly complex situation Mm -hmm. with the biochemistry, the psychology, the behaviors, the, uh, all the reasons people eat, um, but now we're going to talk about the game changer. Mm. And I'm going to give you the reins <laughs> here because this is really something that I love how passionate you are about this. Um, you got onto this faster than I did probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little more cautiously optimistic. And, and now I'm, I'm kind of all in on, on this. Um, and uh, this is a new class of medication that was originally and still – uh, a diabetic medication, but there are now new indications for non-diabetics to con- to use this medication class of drug with unbelievable results. Take it away, Jen. Oh, well, I have personal experience with them because, you know, the joke around here is, is Jen fasting because I would not be the happiest person Angry. in the world. <laughs> and it was hard for me, mostly because I'm insulin resistant. And so my body wants to eat. It wants food. It, it doesn't really know how to mobilize that stored fat very well. And so um, stumbled across Ozempic, which is a GLP-1 inhibitor, Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of started talking to the rep that came by and told us about it and um, started it for myself and really was a game changer because it helped me fast. It helped me um, get over that hump of in the morning wanting to eat something. Um, but these drugs are amazing and there's different types and there's, there's a couple different versions of them, but the, uh, two that are out there now is semaglutide, which is Ozempic and Wagovi, and then, uh, Liragulotide, I always say it wrong, which is, uh, Victoza and Saxenda. Mm -hmm. So these are both, uh, what we call GLP-1 inhibitors, which, um, basically, uh, works at the level of your gut. Um, you have incretin hormones in your gut that affect um, how well your body kind of digests food, um, how long it stays around in your stomach. Also, at different levels of dosages with these drugs, they cross the blood-brain barrier, which I know we're getting kind of technical, but um, affects your appetite. Mm-hmm. So the way they, they work is, number one, they delay gastric emptying so if you are trying to eat less food it doesn't stick around in your stomach very long um uh no sticks around in your stomach longer sorry um so you feel fuller longer and you don't want to eat a a high volume of food um also really wipes out your appetite just yeah i mean i've never seen an appetite suppressant yeah and we were in the world of appetite suppressants Mm -hmm. i was actually just having discussion this morning with my trainer talking about the difference between um, not being hungry, which appetite suppressants do, and the, the, the experience that I'm seeing with patients, which is not that they're not hungry, it's that they get full faster, the satiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it's creating a, a subtle but wildly significant difference as opposed to just not eating, mm-hmm. which an appetite suppressant would do. Folks on these medications will have the want to, mm-hmm. And they'll sit down and then the want to goes away very quickly. So they're starting to experience for many of them the very first time in their adult life anyway, where they can push away the plate. Yep. And they're learning 
oh my gosh, like I don't need to eat this much mm -hmm. for the very first time. It's been so binary, like I either don't have any control or I don't eat. So yeah. I choose don't eat so I can be successful. This is allowing them to get in an arena that is scary, mm -hmm. in total control, and then with some newfound superpower be able to push away the plate. And it reframes in their psychology and their nervous system about what it takes. They're relearning how mm -hmm. to eat. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. And then they see the results so fast and they're like, uh, more of this, please, <laughs> right. you know? And so it creates momentum, mm -hmm. um, which I get really excited about because I see the behavior change. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, uh, the differences between the two, the Victoza and the Saxenda or daily, they're, they're, these are all injections that you give yourself. Like little baby shots uh -huh. in the subcutaneous very, belly very, fat. Very, very small needle. Yeah. Um, Saxenda and uh, Victoza are daily. Mm -hmm. And then um, Ozempic and Wagovi are the cousins to semaglutide. They're both the same uh, molecule, all the same molecule. But they're but a once a week shot. Once a week, yeah. yeah. And so I think most people, people are moving towards the... yeah the once a week, mm -hmm. just better compliance. Yeah. It's I would say the only way they don't work is if you don't take a shot once a week. Right. And most people can take a shot once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of the side effects, because all medications have yep. some side effects, are obviously GI side effects. So mm -hmm. nausea. Um, constipation. Constipation. Some. some people have some abdominal cramping or diarrhea. I mean, it sounds really bad, but we don't have a lot of people that really... Um, can't tolerate these. As I think it's I generally well tolerated. Yeah, because the dosing is very uh, subtle. So you do Titrate a whole up. month of Ozempic mm -hmm. or Wagovi at the same dose before you go to the next one. Mm -hmm. and you can always hang out at a lower dose yep. for longer if you have some of these side effects that are concerning yep. or like, you know, affecting you. But um, I love how it's titrated up because, you know, it just helps you kind of tolerate the drugs a little bit. Yeah, it makes you, helps you acclimate mm -hmm. kind of like to altitude yeah. um, before you really start moving the, the doses to some of the higher, more efficacious doses. Mm -hmm. um, One of the downsides of these are they're expensive if they're not covered by your insurance plan. I mean, they can be upwards of, you know, $1,500, $1,800 yeah. a month. For some of our members, it's well worth it. They pay that, but, you know, they do have some savings um uh, programs that you can enroll in but um you know i think having a conversation with your physician about these is really really right. important because you know when when you and i started in the obesity space i think bariatric surgery was kind of while we understood people that chose that route that was kind of the gold standard of obesity care yep. if you weren't going to do it with diet and exercise which some people you know they just couldn't do that mm -hmm. and these new drugs that are out are a game changer like it, they are the equivalent to weight loss with bariatric surgery, I believe. It's out of this world. Some of yeah. the, the now we don't have long term data on mm -hmm. these. And so stay tuned. This is something that we're going to keep an eye on. But er, early indicators are that these seem to be very well tolerated. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly effective to the point where these diabetic medications now have a couple or several FDA indications just for weight loss yeah. without diabetes. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of game changing that a tool like this is now available for somebody who wants to lose weight. Yeah. Um, and I think the other exciting thing is if, is if you are diabetic and you, you know, Ozempic is the FDA approved um, one for diabetes with Govi FDA approved for weight loss. The data on Ozempic for cardiovascular protection huge. is out of this world. Yeah, I that, mean, that's another... 
diabetes and heart disease, as we've already talked about in other podcasts, is a one-to-one. You They're know, cardiac equivalent. Cardiac to equivalent. have diabetes is the same thing as to have heart disease. Mm-hmm. It's it's because it's all diabetics end up with heart disease, mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah, and and to get we're 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 starving for cardiovascular risk reducers in our diabetics. Mm-hmm. And we're desperate to make somebody insulin resistant, not diabetic. Right. Like these are all aligned with our North stars. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think it, I'm really glad that we've got a little bit of information on this um, class of drugs on record, it, 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 you know, more to come. And I think that leaves us with some action steps, Jen, as we always like to do, we, we throw a lot of information. We wanna give folks, listeners, um, this is really great, but what do I do? I think, I think as we always try to leave this, I think the number one thing is you need to have your team. Yep. And, and if you have someone, if you have a team in place, lean on them. It doesn't do any good to have them and not use them. And if you don't have a team, and I would define your team as a group of healthcare professionals who have created an environment where you are free to have these kind of conversations about options and what's best for you. And if you don't have that, you need to find that is the very thing you need to do today. Yeah. Find your team. Uh, thing number two, I think you would agree with me that just figure out what intermittent fasting means for you. Mm-hmm. With only a handful of exceptions, I think all adult humans would benefit from a fasted lifestyle. Yeah. With, again, just a couple of exceptions to that rule. Um, and Lastly, if if you've done all of the things that we've talked about and you're pulling on the levers as much as you can and you are curious about whether a GLP-1 inhibitor would work for you, go to your team and ask. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely a conversation you need to be having because it could be the thing that breaks you open yeah, and really unlocks this for you. Mm-hmm. And we have helped so many people who just kind of, just thought that was their lot, yeah. that they're never going to get a hold of this. Mm-hmm. And it's a really special thing to unlock that. Yeah. Yeah. My famous last words, because I know you're going to ask I me. I was just about I'm to ask just you. just going to get in there. to it. Is never give up. Never give up. Never. You know, I mean, my journey has taken lots of twists and turns with my weight and weight loss and health and um, feel the best I ever have at 51. Um, not at my goal by any means, but getting there. And I'm successful because I never gave up. And I continue mm. to be successful and consistent because I know that I can achieve my goal. I do hard things. Well, knowing Jen Justice and working <laughs> with her is one of the great joys of my life. Thank and if you. you're listening to this and you feel the same and you ever have the chance to reach out to her, meet her, give her a hug in person, you should do it. It's worth it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jen. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer. 
This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.